word till the whole earth sees the Redeemer has come, where he dwells in the presence of his people. Especially as we prepare to celebrate the coming of the Redeemer to this earth, as we celebrate, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, just love the promise and the hope that we have in those lines to the whole earth sees the Redeemer has come. How? How do they know that? For he dwells in the presence of his people. Praise be to God for that wonderful promise, for the wonderful message that we have to give to the world, not only by words, but also by our life together as we live together in the bonds of peace, in the, in the unity of the Spirit. Well, this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. The book of Daniel, chapter 10. If you're using a Bible provided in a chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 780, 780. For those of you who are visiting us for the first time this morning, we are current, continuing our sermon series in the book of Daniel, a series entitled um, The Supremacy of God. And we are taking one chapter at a time and working our way slowly and surely towards the end of this book. Daniel chapter 10. Here's the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the river, of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of, bur of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. 
while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face downward to the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's ask the Lord to give us his wisdom, his spirit, so that we may understand the significance of this passage for our lives. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Our great God, we thank you of the way you have revealed yourself to the prophets in the Old Testament. We thank you for the prophecy you have given to Daniel, and we ask that even as we consider um, this prophecy, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit now so that we may understand it, that we may understand its significance and meaning for our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. Well, friends, do you remember those sermons where the preacher would often give a very, very, very long introduction? And uh, the introductions um, would often be like 20 minutes into the sermon before he starts talking about his first point. And you start looking at the watch. I'm like, oh, my Lord, 20 minutes just on the introduction. You know those sermons? Why do preachers do that? Why do preachers do that? And you may say, well, you tell me. I don't know. You're a preacher. I'll tell you why preachers do that. Because setting up the stage, doing the introduction for the, for the main points is almost just as important as the main points of the sermon. So that you can only understand the weightiness of the points, of the main points, when you understand the, the setting, the, the, what goes before that's why preachers oftentimes do very, very long introductions. Uh, in some sense, this is what Daniel 10 is for the final and fourth vision of the book of Daniel. It's merely an introduction. Chapter 10 is setting the stage for the longest vision of Daniel, a vision that extends all the way to the end of chapter 12. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, this means that the first six chapters of Daniel are the, the easy chapters, right? The stories that even our children know and remember. And then starting with chapter 7, we get into the apocalyptic visions. Chapter 7 was the first vision. Chapter 8 was the second vision. Chapter 9 was the third vision. And chapter 10 through the 12 will be the fourth vision. But this vision is so long, and it's so important that it actually has a very long introduction. And chapter 10, all we will look at 
is the introduction. Now, why would we have an entire chapter telling us about the preparations for receiving, the, receiving this vision? It's simply because somehow the Lord thought that the process in which Daniel was to receive this vision was just as important as the vision itself. There are points to be learned even before the main point of the vision is made. So it takes a whole chapter to prepare us for this vision. Now, do you know people who um, have the kind of attitude um, that's called get-to-the-point attitude? They are very impatient with uh, the details, with uh, hearing the explanation, with the situation and the reasons why something happened and how it happened. They'd say, who cares? Can you please get to the point? You know people like that? Friends, chapter 10 will bore and frustrate people with that attitude. And I realize I may have just lost 90% of the audience. <laughs> but, but Daniel 10 really wants to give us some points before we get to the big idea of the vision. Now, for those of you who are still um, turned off by, by being the big, people, big idea people, um, there's still something there for us, even in chapter 10. As a matter of fact, verse 1 gives us a heading of the entire vision. Verse 1 of chapter 10 is probably the, the biggest big idea claim of this vision. Here's what verse 1 says. In the, first, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who called, was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and here's what this vision concerned. It concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Here's the big point of the vision. A great war is still laying in the future for the people of God. Now, when Daniel received this vision, um, he says he received it in the third year of Cyrus. That is a very important timestamp. It means that by now, the first wave of exiles who returned back to Israel are back in their country. They started building and restoring the land, the temple, the city, and most likely at least two years have passed from the time of that first return to the time that Daniel writes this message or this letter or gets this vision. And the restoration has begun, great excitement, but here's a message about a great war that still lays in the future. If you want to see how this war will end, read the first four verses of chapter 12. This is a big idea, and then the rest of chapter 10 tells us what it took Daniel to actually get this vision of the big war. We'll talk about it next week. Now, this is not just a long introduction. It's also, for Daniel, a very terrifying introduction. What does this chapter, chapter 10, teach us about the ways of God? A few key points I'd like for us to look at for our instruction, perhaps for our correction, and hopefully for our edification as well. Three points I'd like to suggest to you that we will look at from this introduction of this fourth vision. First point will be that prayer and fasting is more crucial than we suppose. Prayer and fasting is more crucial than we suppose. Point two we will look at is that truth is more devastating than we suppose. Truth is more devastating than we suppose. And finally, history is more complicated than we suppose.
History is more complicated than we suppose. These are three points I'd like for us to look at as we look at the introduction that Daniel receives um, and that we have for Daniel's final vision. Prayer and fasting is more crucial than we suppose. In verse 2, the narrative, the story, points back to Daniel, and it really is communicated to us. It's written from Daniel's perspective. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. Now, friends, this is somewhat important. This is the final vision, the final experience we see of Daniel in this book. And this is how it starts. Remember how the book started in chapter 1? Daniel refusing to eat the choicest of foods and wines. It's, it's amazing that, that those two behaviors, that that behavior is, is met at the beginning of the book and now again at the end of the book. But this time, Daniel engages in saying no to the choices of foods and, and wine for a while so that he may mourn before God. And actually, look at verse 12. The angel, angel says, Do not be afraid, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. This is why Daniel engaged in three weeks of mourning before God, to gain understanding and to humble himself before the Lord. Now, why would Daniel do this? Why would Daniel take time out of his schedule to say no to certain foods and to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting and mourning? The chapter doesn't really tell us. There are two possible reasons that we can think of um, that might be hinted in the, in the overall message of the book. Uh, first of all, the visions Daniel received in chapter 8. Remember in chapter 8, Daniel received some visions, and even at the end of the vision, he's still perplexed. He still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand, especially about the, the ram and the goat, and most importantly, about the, the final guy who came to, to bring war against the saints, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was troubled by that. So it's possible that the Lord is giving, or Daniel is seeking more understanding about those details. Uh, this explanation is hinted at the fact that chapter 11 will have a lot of details that seem to be a repeat and a greater detail of what happened in chapter 8. So that might be a reason. A second reason why Daniel would seek the Lord with, with prayer and fasting and, and humbling, uh, humble mourning before the Lord is by realizing when Daniel is doing this. The third year in the, king, in the reign of King Cyrus. If we understand what was going on with the Israelites, yes, they returned two years earlier, but if you read the book of Ezra, we find out that as soon as they returned, they were not welcomed with open arms by the dwellers of the, of the land. If anything, here's the enthusiasm of the people wanting to build a temple, wanting to rebuild the city, and the Samaritans and whoever was left in the land started causing trouble, started causing obstacles, so that the enthusiasm of the returned exiles started dwindling down. So it's very possible that Daniel may have been seeking the Lord for the future of God's people if he's hearing about the the lack of enthusiasm that's growing now that they have returned back into the land. Well, again, quite honestly, we don't know which of these two reasons. Bottom line is Daniel is seeking the face of God for the future of God's people. 
whether the present or the future, whatever he was, but they were glim. They were dark. Daniel was not very enthusiastic about what the future will bring, so Daniel asked more questions and is inquiring of the Lord. But what's amazing is that Daniel, in this processing of inquiring of the Lord, he goes through so much trouble. He goes through so much inconveniences in order to seek the face of the Lord. He saw it in prayer, in fasting, in mourning. Friends, prayer should be the kind of engagement with God where our schedules and daily routine are inconvenienced. Don't just think of prayer as a filler between the cracks in your schedule. Don't just think of prayer and, uh, and, and spiritual disciplines as the kind of things you do just when you drive. I mean, we're glad. I'm glad you pray when you drive and you pray at all times. We want to encourage that. But just, don't just think of prayer and spiritual disciplines just as the kind of things you do as double tasking when you do other things in life. Daniel gives us a great picture here of how seriously and how intentionally he sought the face of God through dedicating three weeks of, of mourning to see God. Friend, do you ever take prayer and fasting this seriously? Why is it that a man of the stature of Daniel, who received so many visions from the Lord, so much wisdom, who is declared to be of highly esteemed status before the angels of God, why is it that a man like Daniel's status finds it necessary to inconvenience himself and to seek God through three weeks of mourning and prayer and fasting? And why is it that we are often more superficial than Daniel in such deliberate searchings for the wisdom and understanding of God? Notice verse 12. Um, the, the angels tells Daniel, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. This is the second time in the book when we are told that Daniel's prayers were answered the minute he started uttering them. This seems also to imply that the coming of the angel to give this revelation to Daniel may not have happened had Daniel not asked for more wisdom and understanding from God. I love how one Dutch theologian uh, says about this, Daniel's prayers succeeded in drawing angels from heaven to earth. Look at verse 20. The angel says to Daniel, Do you know why I have come? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. How amazing, friends, that this angel, whoever he is, we don't know whether he's an angel or whether he's a manifestation of Christ himself. There are big debates about that, and we just don't know. But whoever this person was, how amazing that he took a quick break from the spiritual combat he was engaged in so that he could come and deliver a message from God from God's book of truth to Daniel. As a result of his prayer, Daniel gets a glimpse of the unseen world. And we get to see a glimpse of this unseen world as well. How amazing that Daniel's prayer gets this kind of response from God, from his angels. The angels would go out of their way. We'll take a detour from the spiritual combat they're engaged in 
to bring an answer to Daniel's prayers. Prayer and fasting, dear friends, is more crucial than we often suppose. Prayer and fasting is more crucial than we often suppose. Just as in chapter 9, Daniel pleaded with his God in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes, now in chapter 10, we see him do the same. Friends, humbling ourselves before God by giving certain privileges and earnestly seeking God in prayer is a mark of the great people of God. Oh, how I wish, how I wish that we as a congregation would grow in such intentional and deliberate spiritual disciplines. How I wish that we would make a big deal about seeking God in prayer and fasting, both at a personal level, but also as a at a corporate level, as a church. That we would carve out in our weekly schedule a day to seek out God in fasting and prayer. That we would carve out in our daily schedule a time to take the scriptures, read them, meditate on them, and pray to the Lord, where we do nothing else but that. Next Sunday morning, we will have a church-wide Sunday school hour, um, but actually we will devote that hour uh, to a time of corporate prayer. I invite you to come and join us at 9.30. We will gather here, and we will pray as a congregation for an hour. Pray that you would join us for that. We as a congregation want to do more of that. I invite you to, to, um, to join us as we will give thanks to God for all the blessings He has given us, as we will confess our sins before the Lord, as we will petition before the Lord. But friends, here's the point. Prayer and fasting is more crucial than we often suppose. It involves struggle. It involves inconveniences. And it involves persistent work. We should not be afraid of that. We should not say no to that or somehow think that our external religion is just a, a, an external act without the heart. We should desire these kind of things from the bottom of our hearts, and then we should put them in our practice in our daily lives. That's truth number one. Prayer and fasting is more important than we suppose. Number two, the second point I'd like to point out from this introduction is that truth is more devastating than we suppose. Truth is more devastating than we suppose. Now, in interpreting any passage of Scripture, one way to find out what an author is trying to emphasize is by looking at the repetitions, what gets repeated over and over again. If we were to use that principle to examine this chapter, one theme that gets emphasized over and over again is Daniel's inability and weakness to receive the vision from God. Now, how many of you would have loved to be there with Daniel when Daniel got this vision. Some of you raise your hand. Right? Think of the many books you could have written and, and said, wow, let me tell you what I saw. I think there are more people who think that in their hearts than people who raise their hands in this room. Now go with me to verse 7. Verse 7 tells us that the men who were with Daniel fled and hid themselves when the vision began because they were overwhelmed by terror. How amazing. In our natural instincts, we, we think we would have loved to be there, to experience this divine vision. But let this detail about Daniel's friends 
tame our human curiosities. The vision Daniel received caused his companions to flee and hide themselves. And even Daniel's reaction was not too far different. Instead of jumping up and down in great excitement of having this vision, look at how Daniel describes his reaction in verse 8. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. In the next verse, we, we read that he fell asleep. Wow. Now, some of you who like falling asleep, no, there's no one here who likes falling asleep. In sermons, may look at this passage as, look, Daniel fell asleep in, you know, before an angel spoke to him, so therefore, we're, we're not that bad. Nobody here does this, I know. I, I'm just preaching this for people out there. But Daniel fell asleep not because of boredom. He fell asleep because of terror. The engagement he had with this divine being so overwhelmed him that he was with no strength left in his body and he just fell asleep. Look at verse 15. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then let's look at verse 16. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Friends, this is not exactly what we would expect in terms of a reaction to the appearance of one of God's angels, right? But I wonder if such surprises are actually an indictment of our misguided conceptions of God. Today, some may seem to assume that a manifestation of the divine is somehow a very casual, feel-good experience, something that produces excitement. Friends, for Daniel, it produced great trauma. Strengthless, speechless, breathless, terrified. Daniel's experience is so different than the flippant attitude some have today when they claim they had a vision from God. Daniel's experience is not the, the neatest thing that happened to him. Or his reaction was not the kind of thing that, let me tell you the coolest thing that happened to me. Instead, it brought Daniel to great and agonizing anguish. The last vision Daniel received emptied him of his human strength. That's the point. Why? Why, why is this point worthy to be mentioned, to be described to us, to tell us that Daniel needed divine strength to hear and understand this vision? We don't have it in us to stand before God in our human strength, to stand before his angels in our human strength. You know, we say in, in evangelism questions, if you were to stand before God and God would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? And we just assume that we could just stand in God's presence very naturally in our human ability. Friends, Daniel brings us this picture that even when faced with one of God's divine agents, angels or, or pre-incarnate Christ, whoever he was, that he is terrified by terror and anguish. 
and human strength just leaves us. Because unless God gives us his strength to stand before him, we can't. These are the kind of attitudes. These, this is the kind of perspective that the, the prophets of the Old Testament and John in Revelation, the people who actually had a, a sea of God, of his angels, get to experience and, and share with us. So why such a focus on the process of strengthening Daniel? Why waste a whole chapter? Because this chapter wants to, not simply to tell us the truth, but wants to impress upon us the truth, make it deep in our hearts. They want us to, this chapter wants us to understand how deeply impressed Daniel was with this truth. Ralph Davis tells the story of John Bradley. John Bradley was one of those men in the famous picture of raising the American flag on the island of Iwo Jima in World War II. Uh, John Bradley was a medical corpsman and saw more than his share of the horror of war. He almost never spoke about it at all. He um, only used seven or eight disinterested minutes of speaking of it on his first date with his wife-to-be Elizabeth. That was all John spoke. But as Elizabeth later told their son that after they were married in 1946, John wept at night in his sleep for four years. The agony just couldn't leave him. And perhaps in some way this is what we see, perhaps, perhaps this is what we see with Daniel, this experience of seeing God's vision that so terrifies Daniel that he's left in agony, and he wants us, the readers, to get this point. And he doesn't just want to say it briefly to us in a conclusion. He actually is carrying us through the steps. How many times the angel touched him? How many times the angel sought him to strengthen him? So that we get an understanding that when the prophets of God encountered God or his divine agents and his message, oftentimes it left them in agony. Where does this leave us? I love how Ralph Davis um, answers this question. Where does this leave us? And he answers, in gratitude. We seldom, if ever, think of the horror and pain the Lord's servants endured in order to be the vehicles through whom his word is passed on to, the, to us in the scriptures. We sit comfortably at our desks or tables with our coffee mugs, read the prophets, and scarcely think of how Daniel was physically and emotionally wiped out or Ezekiel plunged into a mental morass of anguish and anger. In short, it shows us how much the Word of God cost them. If we did, we would more highly prize and tenderly reverence what we have received at their hands. That's how it cost Daniel to get this fourth vision. No wonder that the prophet Isaiah concludes his prophecy with the words uh, from the Lord, the words which we read earlier in our service, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. How amazing that many, day, many today have learned to debate the word of God and to question it and to disobey it. And even if we today, we may not think that we are questioning or disobeying God, how many of us don't find value in trembling at God's word? 
How many, for how many of us, the idea of, of rever reverently standing before the Word of God whenever it is read, proclaimed, whenever that's happening, how many of us are wondering at, at how reverently we should listen, how intentionally and ready to listen we should be, and how we would be more ready to tremble at God's voice speaking to us than sit sim simply comfortably and try to debate it and look through various kinds of applications that suit us or don't suit us. Notice what brings back the strength to Daniel, verse 18. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. This is the third time the angel does this in, the, in, in this chapter. In verse 19, he said, Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. He said, Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. Can you, can you imagine this picture of this, of this angel of God encouraging Daniel to be strong, Daniel? Be strong. It's okay. Peace. And look at how beautifully Daniel summarizes in the end of verse 19. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened. It's not when he touched me that I was strengthened. It's when he spoke to me. Sometimes we think if, if an angel could just touch us, right? If we would just have these kind of amazing experiences. And Daniel says, no, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. That's why, dear friends, we believe so highly here at Parkers Baptist Church that the greatest strength we receive is when the Lord speaks to us. How powerful the words of God's messengers are. They are able to give us strength and to give strength to feeble bodies. That's why we esteem God's Word. That's why what strengthens the people of God even today is not taking some energy drink or doing some crazy energetic programs that bring God's people together. But the greatest thing that strengthens God's people is when God's people hear God's word. Plain and simple. So Daniel was not only devastated by the vision from God, but also the words of God's messenger strengthened Daniel so he could hear from God and, and hear what God decided to reveal to him. And finally, the final point I want to point to you this morning is history is more complicated than we suppose. In this introduction, we get a glimpse of the spiritual conflict going on behind the scenes of human kingdoms. It's a conflict among angels and spiritual rulers. In this introduction, we're given a small glimpse of what happens behind the scenes. Some of, some, someone this morning asked, or asked me or said something to nature, I can't wait for the sermon today um, because I can't wait to see how you're going to deal with Michael and the other angel. And I said, I, I'm not going to do very much with him. We would love to talk more about angelology and the, the worlds of angels, uh, and we could talk certainly much about that. Uh, but here's what I want to say. Today it's true that most people think less of angels than people have thought in the ancient world. In the ancient times, people thought of angels much more than we think today. Uh, so much more that the author of the book of Hebrews, when he writes about the supremacy of Christ, one of the arguments he has to bring out is that Christ is more superior than angels. Now, that argument would only make sense if people in that day would think very, very highly of angels. We today don't think very highly of angels. Um, but the point is not so much to, to, to bring back the, the reality of angels. The more, the more important point here is to bring back or realize that there is a spiritual conflict 
that happens in the spiritual realm in a way that we don't see. So much so that we hear that the reason why this prayer was delayed for Daniel's prayer was not because Daniel's motivation for prayer was selfish or because Daniel prayed the wrong thing. The reason why prayer was delayed in this chapter was because the angel who was commissioned to bring the answer was delayed in a spiritual combat with a prince of the Persian Empire. We don't know who he is. Bottom line is, this is what was going on. What is important for us to remember is that there is a spiritual conflict going behind human events. And the angel tells Daniel that after he finishes giving this answer, he is going to go back and engage in more spiritual combat, in more spiritual warfare. In Daniel's vision, the emphasis is simply on Daniel receiving the vision, but we are reminded that there is a spiritual conflict even behind Daniel receiving this particular vision. This seems to imply that evil forces do influence and impact the kingdoms and governments of the earth. What a dreadful thought that palaces of human kingdoms or government offices of a nation might be occupied by forces of anti-God. We don't think very much about these truths, do we? I'm not saying that government is evil. Don't get me wrong. But, but there is a spiritual combat. And, and Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. So how should we respond to such a view of history that's more complicated than what meets the eye? Two things. First, don't be naive. There is more to this history than simply the human players. There is spiritual, there are spiritual powers who influence a course of human history, and yet we human beings are fully responsible for our actions. So don't be naive. But second of all, don't be panicked. We're not alone in the spiritual battle. This should be a great comfort to us. And even if the future of God's people still has much suffering, even if there's death and defeat, humanly speaking, God assures us that we're not defeated. Now, if you're not a Christian, you should be panicked. The, o- the only people who should not be panicked about what the future holds are those who have their hope in Christ. But if you don't have the hope in Christ, you should be panicked. The future of human history is filled with terror outside of Christ. That's why, dear friends, when we look at the way the book of Daniel ends, this great war is going to lay for us very hard realities, very hard and, and, and threats and, and, and the kind of experiences that we cannot imagine going through. And yet, those who have Christ, for them, they have the assurance that they will rise again. And that's how the book of Daniel ends. It ends, look at the last verse in the book of Daniel. It ends on a note of resurrection. 
As for you, the, the angel says, as for you, you will go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. How beautifully and calmly God speaks, even of our greatest enemy, death. God speaks of it as a time of rest, followed by a great promise that at the end of the days, you will rise. But friends, I want to be very honest with you. It's only those who are in Christ that can cling to that. Because if you look at just a few verses back in chapter 12, verse um, 3, it says that those who are wise, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, it says that, th- that not everyone who will rise will rise to everlasting life. Some will rise to everlasting shame and contempt. But those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who, may le- who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Friends, only those who know Christ have a bright future. Only those who know Christ can look at the, at the great war that is still coming and be confident that we are going to be conquerors. This morning, if you're here and you don't know for sure if you know Christ, if Christ is a part of your life, if you're a part of Christ, I would love to speak to you more at the end of the service. But the great hope of the gospel is that Christ came to take upon himself the punishment that we deserved so that he might give to us the perfection that he alone has. And that in Christ, we are actually counted righteous before God. So those who turn to Christ in in repentance and faith might be given the eternal life promised in Christ his Son. Oh, friends, I pray that you would, if you don't know Christ this morning, that you would come to know him, that you would inquire about what you need to do to turn to him, If Daniel, the man of God, was terrified by this vision of God, what would happen to those who are without God? If Daniel, the man of God, who who was highly esteemed by God's angels, had such a reaction to a vision of God, what will happen to those who will face God on that day apart from his righteousness, apart from his salvation? I pray that you take this warning seriously, and I pray that you take this comfort to be an edification for your own heart and soul. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God who cares to tell your people of both a dreadful experience of encountering your divine presence, but also of telling your people of the sweetness of your provisions to make it possible for us to engage with you. Our God, we thank you for the gospel in whom we have been received and given and gifted the hope of eternity and the access into your presence. We praise you for this gospel and we pray that we would cherish it, that we would delight in it, that we would thank you for it as we engage in this week of, of giving thanks to you, that the gospel will grow in being ever more delightful to our hearts and minds. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.